Namaskar and welcome to all of you who have joined us today. As they say, the longer we look back, the farther we can look forward. Thus, like a lion who looks back after every few steps forward, we look back at our history so that we never have to repeat it again. Our star speaker for today is admirably lion-hearted and fearless, Shefali Vaidyaji. Shefali Vaidya holds a master's degree in mass communications and postgraduate diplomas in Spanish language and Indology. She's an award-winning author, political commentator, and social media influencer. She's based in Goa. She's the daughter of Sri Prabhakar Vaidya, a freedom fighter from Goa. When I started talking about the Goa Inquisition and Goan history, I got a lot of queries from well-meaning people from Goa and outside of Goa, asking me why am I talking about the horrors of the past after so many years. Gade murde ho was the question that I was asked very frequently. But the point is, unless you come to terms with the horrors of the past, unless you are aware of what happened to you, to your ancestors, unless you own your stories, you will always be mentally colonized. You will always be under the power of someone else, which is why it's very important to understand your own history and understand the history of your ancestors and to know more about the sacrifices that they made so that we can have the freedom that we take it for granted. Our problem is we have things far too easy. And I'm not just talking about my generation, but even the generation that came before me and the generation that came after me. We take freedom for granted. We have the freedom to wear the clothes of our choice, to go and eat at the places of our choice, to travel to the places of our choice. And we never realize what it is to live under a repressive uh, colonial regime. We have never had our freedoms compromised. We have never had anyone tell you that you can't do this or you can't worship your gods or you can't wear a particular dress or you can't pray or you can't have a tulsi plant in your house. So we don't know what it is like. We have never had to move to another place in the middle of the night in small boats just because we want to keep to our dharma, just because we love our dev, desh and dharma. And that's why there are no stories, there are no documented stories of the people who hopped onto small boats in the dead of the night and sailed into the unknown from Goa because the Portuguese had given them the choice that if you want to stay in the Portuguese controlled territories, you either get converted to Christianity or you leave or you get killed. They left not knowing whether they were going to remain alive, whether they were they were going to be buried at sea, what was going to happen to them, what are the lands that they're going to visit, what is going to happen to them in the future. They knew nothing. All they had in their heart was their steadfast dedication to dharma. So they got into small boats and they left Goa. And they sailed all the way to the furthest tip of the western coast of India. They went all the way to Kochi. Some of them stayed in Mangalore, some of them stayed in Basrur, some of them stayed in the Karnataka coast. And that community, the Goan Konkani community, thrived there. But they never forgot the ties, the ancestral ties they had with their land, the land of their ancestors, the land of their gods. That is why many of them have the temples of their family deities in Goa. And at least once a year, they come and they do seva at these temples. But not enough has been documented about their struggles. 
what it was like in that era in the 16th century to land on an alien shore where you don't know the language where you don't know the people where uh, you you have left your extended family behind you're probably you know all alone by yourself and you're trying to establish there it is a story of a forced displacement that has largely gone ignored and even today we don't know enough about it to talk about it the people who keep advising me to let bygones be bygones and to not talk about our past and to not let even the facts of history be known i have only one answer to them why do you think the state of israel even today ensures that the children born in the state of israel know about the horrors of the holocaust why do they make sure that their history is never forgotten why have they revived hebrew that is because they want to ensure that such a horror of holocaust never happens again and that is the reason why we must know the history of our ancestors why we must know the truth and not simply say okay oh uh, today everything is fine so you know let's just forget about the horrors of the past it is the horrors of the past that has made us who we are today it is our past it is our stories that has given us this sense of identity and which is why it's very very essential to know the story of our ancestors to know the story of the goa liberation movement why was goa colonized for almost 450 years that's a question all of us must ask ourselves what made a small european nation like portugal which has a population probably less than a municipality in uh, india today come all the way here and colonize us for 450 years now there are different colonizing forces now you don't have people who come and overtly uh, try to convert you or try to destroy your culture now there are covert forces but the aim remains the same colonizers come in different guises today and it's important as for us to know how we were colonized once so that we are aware of the effects of colonization and we are aware of the effects of what has been done to us today i'm going to give you a general overview of the goa liberation movement not many people know that the that the portuguese were the first white colonial power to occupy a part of india in 1510 and they remained in india all the way through 1961 when they were officially kicked out by the military action of india 450 years is a really long time it's covered several generation it's four centuries and a lot can happen in four centuries it is to the credit of our ancestors that through 450 years most of them held on to their dharma most of them held on to their culture and they never let go of the ties they had with their motherland which is india a couple of years ago i had gone to peru and I, while i was uh, looking at the ruins of the incan culture there and uh, to see what peru has become today their history is very similar to ours what the portuguese did to goa the spanish did to peru they destroyed the local culture they destroyed the local language they destroyed the local religion and they converted the people en masse but what is the difference between goa and peru is that the entire peru capitulated to the spanish in a span of just less than 50 years whereas even after 450 years majority of the goans did not capitulate to the portuguese they held on to their dharma they held on to their beliefs they held on to their culture and they held on to the ties that they had 
with their motherland. Uh, today, when people come to Goa, they only see beautiful beaches, they only see churches, they only see colorful houses, and they think of Goa as a land full of fun and fainy. And that's an impression that has been consciously given, even by the government of Goa. All the tourism brochures that you see will discuss Goa and will describe Goa as a land of fun and fainy. It's a land that you come to do merrymaking. It's a culture that's full of happy-go-lucky people, which is all true in a way. But Goa also hides a very tragic past. This is my tribute to my family who suffered greatly at the end of lands of the repressive Portuguese for over three generations. My father, Sri Prabhakar Vaidya, who was a revolutionary fighter and one of the key uh, fighters of the Azad Komantak Dal. My grandfather, Trivikram Vaidya, who was the person who drove Ramanar Lohia to that momentous meeting on 18 June 1946 to Lohia Maidan, which basically sparked off the final phase of the Goa liberation movement. And my grandfather's brother, Venkatesh Vishnu Vaidya, who was uh, uh, one of the first Satyagrahis in South Goa, and he was arrested for it, and he spent six months in Agwa jail for it. This is my uh, payment of my debt to them. And this is a brief overview of what Goa faced in the 450 years of occupation under the oppressive Portuguese. Goa, Gomantak, Aparanta is a holy land. It's a land of Lord Parshuram. Legend says that before Parshuram arrived on the Konkan coast, Goa was just water. He shot off an arrow into the sea and he reclaimed the land and then he got families from the north to settle down in Goa. And that is how Goa, Gomantak or Aparanta was created. It is a holy land. It is a land that was ruled by many, many, many uh, rulers, including the Bhojas, the Shilaharas, the Kadambas, the Mauryas even, then the Bahamani Sultans, then the Vijayanagar kings, and finally the Portuguese. But the Portuguese, in the 450 years of their oppressive occupation, tried to change the culture of Goa, the identity of Goa, and they tried to destroy it completely. On November 25th, 1510, Alphonse de Albuquerque invaded the city of Old Goa, and a terrible slaughter of men, women, and children followed. At that point of time, the city of Old Goa was under the leadership of Adil Khan, uh, one of the soldiers, one of the, one of the generals of Adil Shah. And Albuquerque himself boasted about this in his letter to the King of Portugal in the following words. He says, and I quote, I then burnt the city and put everything to sword. We counted 6,000 dead bodies. It was a great deed, my lord. And those 6,000 dead bodies belong not just to soldiers, but they belong to civilians as well. And they included men, women, and children. And that is how Alphonse de Albuquerque occupied the city of Goa. And that's how the Portuguese gained the first foothold in Goa. Within a week of his conquest of Old Goa, Albuquerque had already started the construction of the Church of St. Catherine. The Portuguese also opened a slave market in Goa. Slavery was largely unknown to Goa. And in the slave market, the men, women and children from the surrounding areas were smuggled in and sold as slaves and sent off to distant land. Nobody knows what happened to them. Nobody knows how many people, how many living beings were sold in the slave market and what happened to them because there is no documentation. The Portuguese ensured that in 1540, by the order of the King of Portugal, all Hindu temples in the city of Old Goa and the island of Tivar were demolished. In 1542, Francis Xavier arrived in Goa and started active proselytization. 
when he felt that the people he had converted the neo christians were still not taking to their new religion and they were still reverting to their old ways of worship he wrote a letter to the king of portugal saying that these people keep going back to their old ways so we need a court of inquisition to be established in goa and he kept making this request it is true that when the court of inquisition was finally established in goa he was not alive he had moved to malacca then and he had died there but we cannot forget the fact that he was the one who played a very active role in proselytizing the people of goa and he is gone on record in his own words when he has written in his letters saying that he encouraged the people he converted to destroy the temples of the gods they once worshiped and he got great pleasure in doing so in 1561 the court of inquisition was established in goa in 1560 the same year with the court of inquisition arrived in goa more than 13000 people were forcibly converted to christianity in 1559 hindus were legally prohibited from holding public office in the areas under portuguese control and they were given three choices as i said earlier that they could convert they could leave or they could get killed These are the exact same choices that the Kashmiri Hindus were given in the 1990s. History does repeat itself, and this is the reason why we need to know more about history. In 1567, Diego Rodriguez, captain of Rajol Fort, destroyed 280 temples within a span of few months in Salset alone. Not a single temple, big or small, was spared. Last week when I went to Goa I visited the site of uh, the original uh, temple of Sri Shantadurga in a place uh, near near Lotli Rasai it's called there is a huge banyan tree which is probably more than 400 years old and under that there is a small plaque which was erected at the place uh, on the 400th anniversary of the demolition of the temple somebody comes and lights a lamp there there is a murti there is a there is a photograph of the goddess and somebody puts flowers there and it's a very somber sad place it's it's very oppressive when you go there you have this overwhelming feeling of sadness and i think every one of us every hindu whether it's goan or goan christian or goan hindu or even every indian should go to this place when you come to goa when you're done with your beach merry making please take some time to visit this place to understand what is the searing pain of this placement in uh, salset alone in 1578 paulist missionaries converted more than 100000 people of the coastal area to christianity those who didn't want to get converted had to leave their homes in a mass exodus many undertook a perilous journey by boats and landed on the west coast as far as kochi you see that community now it's thriving because they are hard working and they established themselves in alien lands but when they went from goa they had nothing they had no land they had no identity they had no family uh, bonds of kinship all they had was a dedication to their dharma and probably a little bit of gold but they still managed to make a success of themselves and that is a proof of their industriousness Goan nationalist T B Kuna has written that the Hindus who welcomed the Portuguese to inflict revenge on the Mohammedans found that the god of Christians was much more ferocious than that of the Mohammedans, and it is true that some Hindus belonging to the court of some kings in Honavar had actually invited Alphonse de Albuquerque, thinking that he will come to Goa, he will defeat the Adil Shahi forces, and after that they'll pay him some monetary tribute, and then he'll go back. they never uh, anticipated that the portuguese would colonize them for 450 years 
and that is the history that keeps repeating in india over and over again that we trust somebody else to save us and then the savior turns into the oppressor but many people ask me that if the portuguese were this repressive tyrannical and evil that they destroyed culture they destroyed temples they destroyed a way of life they tortured goans why did the goan people not resist why was there not a substantial mass movement for the liberation of goa they ask this question because the truth has been hidden from them and many people are not even aware of this distinct history of goa and the history of the people who resisted the portuguese occupation all through right from the 16th century the fights were sporadic yes they were not united yes they were probably not a whole mass movement encompassing the whole of goa yes but it is erroneous and uh, it is it is uh, distorting history to say that the goans never resisted the portuguese my village my ancestral village kunkulim was one of the first places to fight against a white colonial power right from the middle of the 16th century to the beginning of the 20th century there were no less than 40 revolts in different places done by different people in goa against the portuguese which were suppressed with complete brutality and violence by the portuguese starting in 1575 people of my village kunkulim and four other neighboring villages asolna velni veroda and ambeli revolted against the oppressive portuguese regime at first they peacefully protested and they said that we will not pay any taxes to this regime which doesn't respect our culture and our religion if you destroy our temples we are not going to pay you any money this was the first non cooperation movement or asarkar andolan practiced anywhere in the world not just in india long before gandhi ji ever thought of it when this didn't work and the portuguese brutally attacked them a number of times they came to the village they raided the village they destroyed the temples they burnt the houses of the people the people simply escaped to the neighboring forests and then when the portuguese left they came back and they rebuilt their temples into makeshift structures and continued their worship this happened over the years from 1575 to 1583 and 1583 in the month of july something very very major happened when the local people realized that the portuguese forces are coming to convert them and to destroy the main temple in the village that is the temple of shantadurga which is there in a place called thaliebhat in the center of the village they realized that that is how they are going to oppose it so what they did was when the portuguese priests the jesuit priests and uh, some converted goan christians and the portuguese forces had come to the village to convert the goan the kunkolim people and to destroy the temples people got together spontaneously and they attacked the entire portuguese party five jesuit priests were killed one portuguese soldier was killed and 15 others were killed by the villagers in a fierce battle this happened without any king leading them without any general leading them this was a people surprising against a brutal oppressive white colonial power this is probably the first example of its kind in the entire world where the entire people of a village rose as one against an oppressive alien uh, white colonial regime long before french revolution long before the ideas of liberty equality and fraternity uh, where you know uh, came into vogue the portuguese government retaliated by executing all the village chieftains involved in this uh, fight against the portuguese and they did it by deceit 
they call them for talks peace talks in the fort of asolna so you don't have to come armed and when they came unarmed they were given free passage they were promised free passage and when they entered the fort of asolna the doors of the fort were shut and they were brutally massacred only one of them survived because he jumped from a window to the neighboring river and he swam away to safety but the tales of the chieftains of kunkulim continue to inspire generations of govan today and every gaonkar or every native of kunkulim it doesn't matter what religion he or she practices today whether it's christianity or hinduism they are aware of this history and they are aware of the sacrifice of the chieftains after the chieftains were killed kunkulim was subjugated because there was no leadership and all the people from the village were forcibly converted their lands were taken over and they were given to portuguese accounts even today even even during liberation time many of the lands that originally belonged to the gramsans of kunkulim were privately owned by the counts of portugal because of the result of this rebellion because of the result of this first fight for govan independence i refuse to call it a revolt the portuguese destroyed the complete economic and social structure of kunkulim the gramasansta after this first war for govan independence and this uh, had ripples everywhere in goa when the people from the rest of goa knew about the brutal uh, brutal uh, brutal way the first war for goan independence was uh, put down they also started becoming a little scared but that didn't stop people from other places to fight against the portuguese in 1787 there was the conspiracy of the pintos of kandolim a movement that was led by father caetano victoriano de faria in lisbon and father jose antonio gonçalves and father caetano francisco cuto in goa these were goan catholic priests who had earlier converted to christianity they had attended uh, the seminaries and they were training to be clergy but they were still treated as second class citizens by the jesuits and they were not given positions that they felt they deserved in the church administration and only because their skin was not white and because they were goan christians and they were not of portuguese descent so this rankled them so they Uh, revolted against the jesuits and revolted against the portuguese but they were betrayed betrayed by antonio jose toscano who reported their plans to the portuguese government the rebels there were 47 in total were imprisoned and the leaders were executed father faria however managed to escape capture and he found sanctuary in paris and the way they were executed the pintos the the people involved in this rebellion was really horrible they were publicly executed in the streets of lisbon and their bodies were chopped into pieces and they were paraded as a lesson for everybody else then the ranis of satari revolted against the portuguese no less than 20 times between 1755 and 1912 their biggest revolt was in 1924 and 1952 and kustoba rani and dipaji rani are the names that goan state with reverence even today before 1820 goa was a portuguese colony governed by an autocratic viceroy appointed by the portuguese king and he was answerable only to the portuguese king and the office of the inquisition was not even answerable to the portuguese king they were answerable only to the pope there was no political participation at all from the local population in 1822 though goa was made namesake a province of portugal and as such eligible goans were allowed to elect three representatives of the portuguese parliament but there was a catch there because the people who could vote these representatives those had to speak portuguese 
they had to be catholics and they had to pay substantial taxes so only less than 10% of the total people in goa could vote for namesake and they could elect so called representatives to the portuguese parliament this was also another hogwash in 1510 when the portuguese arrived in goa and in 1540 they started this tradition of active uh, active religious persecution of the hindus and that ended in 1910 officially that official discrimination against hindus ended so from 1540 to 1910 there was an institutionalized policy of discrimination against hindus in the portuguese government policies this uh, repealing of this policy in 1910 it led to an outburst of intellectual cultural and political life in goa for the first time since the advent of the portuguese rule hindus could openly declare their ties to mother india this led to a renewal of nationalistic sentiments before this goans had managed to keep alive their ties with india by keeping alive marathi language in secret in goa the portuguese had ensured that konkani uh, speaking konkani was banned they had burned konkani books they had burned marathi books also but the goan people still got together and they started marathi schools in secret in their homes in the neighborhood temples and ensured that the children got connected to the motherland of india they were taught songs in marathi they were taught aartis in marathi they were taught uh, religious scriptures in secret because they couldn't do it openly they couldn't even do pujas like ganesh chaturthi puja openly that is why goan started this process this uh, this practice of worshiping ganpati as patrisa ganpati as ganpati painted on paper which could be hidden quietly and uh, if the portuguese came to check there would be no murtis visible anywhere hindus were uh, prohibited uh, from marrying in portuguese territories so they had to go either on the other side to territories controlled by the sandekars or by adil shah still to get married or to have any religious function and when people died they had to be cremated in a boat in the middle of uh, the rivers it was such a brutal and repressive regime but after 1910 there was a period of renaissance where the hindus of goa particularly started speaking more and more in favor of uh, joining india and against the portuguese government goan historian pampu shirodkar describes this intellectual and political renaissance in the following words with the turn of the 20th century while the movement for political liberties gathered momentum in india a silent revolution was taking place in the portuguese territories the people of goa were evincing a keen interest in the liberation struggle in the mainland and trying to identify themselves with the indians the growing liberation struggle inspired them to assert their rights and on the other hand the portuguese rulers resorted to rigorous repressive measures for suppressing the national awakening the small uh, window that was granted to the hindus of goa in 1910 was soon taken back when there was a regime change in portugal and antonio salazar an oppressive dictator came to power in portugal in a coup and with this regime change he uh, did a ordinance called carta organica and under that all civil liberties were taken away from the people of goa once again they were back to where they started under the very oppressive regime in all this what was the role of the church the goan church you might ask well the church strongly supported the pro colonial policies and the portuguese rule in goa the catholic church in goa and the, the chief of that the patriarch issued over 60 official letters to the priests in different dioceses 
telling people telling them to preach in their uh, in their weekly masses to their congregations that religious salvations of goan christians lay only with the portuguese and they had to dissociate themselves from the rest of india in order to gain religious salvation that it was their religious duty to support the portuguese rule despite that several highly educated goan christians like tb kuna and tristan de braganza became staunch nationalists and started uh, talking more and more about the systematic colonization of goan mindset by the portuguese and talked about what is the need to decolonize it on 18th june 1946 ram manohar loya lit the spark against the by then 435 year old portuguese rule in goa by his very famous speech in go in madgaon which is remembered till today and because of that 18 june is celebrated as the goa revolution day dr roya was arrested immediately and he was jailed in agwada and later he was forcibly deported to mainland india but his speech and subsequent arrest and the arrest of all the people who were there on the stage including my grandfather had started a revolution for the first time goan nationalists and indian freedom fighters joined hands even though goa congress was formed earlier in 1928 Goan started mass satyagrahas. Dr. Tristan de Braganza was the first satyagrahi of Goa, followed by Lakshmikant Bhimre, Dr. Hegde Desai, Venkatesh Vishnu Pai Vaidya, my grandfather's brother, and others. The movement continued up to November 1961. More than 1,500 people were arrested. The 1946 satyagraha continued intermittently till India was completely free. When India got freedom from the British in 1947, many Goan nationalists like Dr. T. B. Kuna believed that once the British left India, Portuguese will also leave Goa or what they called the Istadoda India. They are Istadoda India because the French and Dutch had already prepared to leave, and that transfer of power had happened more or less amicably. So they thought that Portugal, which was anyways by that time a, a not not a great power in Europe, would leave on its own. but salazar continued holding on to goa because he considered it as a prestige point and he considered that uh, the portuguese had a divine god given church given right to rule goa and daman and dev which which constituted the estados de goa the indian nationalists described the portuguese colony of goa then after 1947 when india became independent as an ugly pimple on the face of mother india it took at the period from 1947 to 1961 for this pimple on the on the face of mother india to finally go and even then it had to be surgically excised in 1949 nehru's government established a legation in lisbon to negotiate with the portuguese government their withdrawal from goa to nehru's surprise however the portuguese government refused to even discuss the issue In 1953 a Goa action committee was formed under the leadership of TB Kuna which sort of served as a central committee which would oversee all sorts of uh, movements for Goa's liberation and subsequent integration with India including the satyagraha including the armed revolutionary movements the many streams of nationalist thought that were in work in Goa at that point of time The Portuguese forces came down heavily upon the satyagrahis arresting them indiscriminately torturing the arrested prisoners and even shooting at the unarmed satyagrahis this led to an increasing realization among the young people of goa that the tyrannical portuguese were not on the same league as the british 
and they cannot be fought with passive resistance movements but you need to have an armed struggle to strike a blow against the portuguese particularly against the repressive policies of the salazar thus began a new chapter in goa's history the chapter that was dominated by an organization called the azad gomantak dal my father uh, spent almost a decade of his life fighting for azad gomantak dal and i have heard stories of how much my entire family sacrificed for it uh, so that he could go and fight because in those days there were no way of communication he was mostly underground and his family his parents would never see him maybe once in a while in 6 months he would come for a couple of hours and then leave because he was always on the run from the portuguese he was on the most wanted list of the portuguese and when he came uh, my grandmother i heard stories that my grandmother would touch him and ensure that he had no bullet wounds or that he was not bleeding anywhere such was the terror of the portuguese azad gomantak dal was inspired and named after netaji subhashchandra bose's azad hind sena and it was a revolutionary group that vowed to fight the portuguese using armed struggle as the means it was founded by a young goan vishwanath lavande who was initially a gandian and who had even participated in the satyagraha after he was inspired by loya but he realized very quickly from the way the portuguese had come down heavily upon the satyagrahis that satyagraha is not the way to uh, to fight the portuguese and he was very influenced by the by the thoughts of swatantravir savarkar and by the basic thought that ranavina swatantra kona mile meaning who has one freedom without an armed fight azad gomantak dal had people like vishwanath lavande narayan hari naik tatatri deshpande mohan ranade and prabhakar sinari as its leaders and the dal carried out a series of attacks on portuguese police stations and banks after the first attacks dal dal sainiks were caught by the portuguese were sentenced to almost 30 years of imprisonment in exile outside of goa either in portugal mainland portugal or in the african colonies of portugal like angola by the portuguese courts narayan naik and dattatreya deshpande suffered about 14 years of imprisonment in prisons of portugal and angola however they were released after the liberation of goa Vishwanath another person Mohan Ranade was in the Portuguese jails for many years even after Goa became liberated and it took long concerted efforts to get him free however the leaders of the Azad Gomantak Dal Vishwanath Lavande and Prabhakar Sinari managed to escape being arrested and continued their armed struggle against the Portuguese rule by forming huge armed force of anti colonial fighters with their headquarters in Goa India borders at two places at wazre in north goa and at mazali in south goa my father prabhakar vaidya joined them by dropping out of wadia college he was studying at wadia college in pune at that point of time and he joined in directly in the middle of the night he took a train to bombay and went and joined azad gomantak dal in the liberation struggle of dadra nagar haveli rss was also a part of this struggle and they led a joint attack on dadra nagar haveli on 28 july 1954 and liberated it on 2nd of august After that Azad Gomantak Dal came Azad Gomantak Dal and their fighters they came back to mainland Goa and they continued their struggle against the Portuguese all the way through 1961 they successfully carried out raids on police stations and factories they ambushed military patrols they attacked troops stationed at the border and blew up ammunition dumps and railway bridges on the lucrative mining routes to ensure that the economic power of the Portuguese rule in Goa was uh, curtailed They even attempted assassinations of important Portuguese officials. 
Azad government had built ran its own radio station. It had its arms training, arms and explosive training camps, and it published a newspaper. Azad Kumar Takdal was not a ragtag bunch of outlaws. It was a well-formed organization. It had a clear printed manifesto. It had membership rules, and it had a plan of action clearly outlined for a free Goa that included agrarian reforms, that included economic reforms, that included cultural reforms. The South Goa unit of Azad Gomantak Dal and the North Goa unit of Azad Gomantak Dal carried out several daring attacks on the Portuguese armories and even military outposts, including the armory of Konkolim and the military outpost of Bali. These attacks were carried out under the leadership of my father, Prabhakar Vaidya. However, in response to the group's revolutionary tactics, the Portuguese increased their military presence by bringing in white and African troops from their colonies elsewhere. These troops were known in Goa as Pakle and Kapris, respectively, and they struck terror in the hearts of Goans because these were mercenaries who were very, very brutal and repressive. Many Dal Sainiks like Rajnikan Kengre, Rudena Sardesai, were brutally murdered by these soldiers. However, the Azad Gomantak Dal continued to fight all the way through 1961. Meanwhile, a parallel movement was going on of Satyagraha in which increasingly more and more people from mainland india were taking part in it mostly people from karnataka and maharashtra on 15th of august 1954 hundreds of indians mostly from maharashtra crossed the portuguese goan borders defying a ban by both the indian government as well as by the portuguese goan portuguese government and they participated in a satyagraha the portuguese responded to this by shooting indiscriminately at the satyagrahis and many were injured and killed the portuguese response to the satyagrahas which continued throughout 1955 was sealing goa's borders in an attempt to curb the growing illegal immigration from india by 1955 the indian government had finally developed a policy on the portuguese goan territory which supported the integration of goa with india nehru could have done this many many years ago because goa was a really small place with a small force of portuguese soldiers but he tried diplomacy to the cost of the goan people's aspirations to the cost of what the goan people suffered probably because he wanted to be called shantidut i don't know between 1955 and 1961 six political parties were formed in 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 goa to advocate for an end, end to portuguese colonial rule these parties included the azad gomantak dal the rancor patriota the united front of goans goans people party goa liberation army and quit goa organization and all these people they worked independently but the resistance to the portuguese in goa rule in goa was increasing and it was all sorts of resistance there were satyagrahas there were shouting of jai hind slogans the general population was getting more and more restive and there are some people who will tell you that the resistance was only from the hindu population of goa and the christians of goa was largely supportive of the portugal rule they are telling you a lie because even though the portuguese the goan elite yes they were supportive of the portuguese rule because they were the beneficiaries of that rule they were they spoke portuguese at home they occupied plum positions in the portuguese uh, government so a small section of the 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 goan uh, christian elite did support the portuguese rule but the average goan christian who was working class they were equally fed up of the repressive policies of the portugal rule portuguese rule as much as the goan hindus and they fought against the portuguese to ten nail 
Azad Gomantak Dal had many, um, had a majority of Hindu volunteers, yes, but they also had Christian volunteers who participated equally. One of the greatest nationalist thinkers from Goa was Sri T.B. Kunya and his brother-in-law, his Minas Braganza. In 1961, India finally proclaimed that Goa should join India either with full peace or with full use of force after the failure of diplomacy with the Portuguese. Government of Goa finally ordered the Indian armed forces to take Goa by force in a military operation that lasted just for two days on 18th and 19th December 1961, titled Operation Vijay. Indian troops captured Goa and they liberated it and integrated it in India with little resistance from the Portuguese forces then in Goa. The Governor General of then Portuguese Goa, Vasalu Silva, signed an instrument of surrender. He was the 128th and the last Governor General of Portuguese Goa, 128th. Can you imagine the span of years for, that it takes for 128 people to rule Goa from distant Portugal? He disobeyed direct orders from Salazar to fight until death and to follow a scorched earth policy. And because of that, he uh, he surrendered quickly, sensing that resistance was futile. But because of that, he was court-martialed in Portugal and he was ostracized and uh, he, he, was, uh, he was treated as a traitor for failing to follow orders. He was expelled from the military and was sent into exile. His rank and freedom were restored only in 1974 after the fall of the Salazar regime. This, in short, is the story of Goa's liberation movement that effectively started in the second half of the 16th century all the way and lasted all the way till Goa was liberated on 19 December 1961 and became an integral part of Mother India. As they say in an African proverb, that till the lions tell their own history, the history will be always written by the hunters. Thank you. Today, on the occasion of uh, Goa Liberation Day, we remember our martyrs who toiled and suffered for freedom, which we take for granted today. Despite having school in Goa, many of us hardly studied or know the sacrifices of our freedom fighters, which is a real tragedy. And if we let it continue so, it would be grave injustice and ingratitude on our part. Our eminent speakers for today are authorities in this field of history and have been working to correct this anomaly. And for us at Sangam Talks, this is our hand for the same. One often wonders how the culture of Goa could have been before the uh, arrival of the Portuguese. Dr. Uh, Bhushan Bhave will illumine us on this topic today. He's currently the principal of Vidya Prabodhini College, Parvani, and, and has held several positions in varied committees in Goa, as well as the Center for Languages, Sports Conservation, Tobacco Eradication, etc. He's member of Indian Council for Cultural Relations, New Delhi, and empaneled as a translator from English to Marathi or Konkani for literary, as well as scientific and technical projects. He has also returned, co-authored and edited several books on similar topics. Namaskar. Gokarnaduttare bhage sapta yojana vistrutam tatra goapuri nama nagri papanashini shetram yavadikam kashyaha vikhyatam narveticha tatraeva sthapitam lingam rushivihi sapta bhirmahat Matlab, ye nagri jo hai goa nagri ye prachin kalse kashi se bhi yavabhar अधिक 
पवित्र नगरी मानी गई है पुर्तुगीजों के साढ़े चार साल के बाद के सत्ता के बाद भी गोवा भारत के पश्चिम तट की काशी इसी नाम से पुकारा गया है यहाँ तो पुर्तुगीजों का प्रयास रहा इसको रोम ऑफ द ईस्ट बनाने का 1498 में जब वास्को दगामा कालीकत में आया तो उसके बाद ये जो पूरा अफ्रीका एशिया का तट है उसमें पुर्तुगीज साम्राज्य जैसे अग्नि जैसा फैल गया पूरे बंदर और प्रदेश उसमें जुड़ गए लेकिन उसकी राजधानी गोवा को ही क्यों चुना गया और बहुत दूर से मकाओ से ये सेंट फ्रांसिस जेवियर का शव यहां गोवा में ही क्यों लाया गया ये सवाल पूछा जा सकता है इसका कारण एक है कि आठवीं सदी से वाणिज्य तथा व्यापार का उत्कर्ष केंद्र गोवा था हमें मालूम है गोवा तो पश्चिमी तट का मध्यवर्ती क्षेत्र है और यहाँ वाणिज्य और व्यापार के अलावा ये वैदिक अध्ययन का तथा संस्कृत का केंद्र भी रहा भारत के अनेक पवित्र स्थलों में उसकी गणना उस वक्त भी की जा रही थी हमने एक दो उदाहरण यहाँ प्रस्तुत करने का प्रयास किया है जिससे हमें पता चलेगा कि कितनी पवित्र भूमि गोवा थी उस वक्त फादर फ्रांसिस डिसूजा अपने ओरियंत कॉन्फिस्ट नाम के किताब में लिखते हैं दीवार जो एक पवित्र मंदिर का स्थल था दिवाड़ी उसको लोकल भाषा में बोलते हैं दीवार वॉज एज मच वेनरेटेड बाय हिंदू एज द होली लैंड बाईज बाय अस ऑन अकाउंट ऑफ अ टेम्पल ऑफ मेनी इंडलजेंसिस एंड पिलग्रिमेजेस ये उनका स्टेटमेंट है तो ये दीवार में साल में तीन बार उस वक्त भी और गोकुलाष्टमी के दिन तो बहुत बड़ी यात्रा वहां लगती थी और उस यात्रा में पापक छालन के लिए हजारों नागरिक पूरे कोकण से वहां आते थे ऐसा इतिहास लिखता है उसके बाद लियोनार्द पाइश अपने किताब में लिखते हैं यहां तो मंदिरों का ही प्रदेश है पूरा ये गोवा जमीन पर इतनी मंदिरें यहां बांधी गई है कि उनको यहां जगह नहीं मिलते और मंदिर बांधने के लिए तो लोग अभी पर्वतों पर भी मंदिर देखे जाते हैं यहां ऐसा उनका दियोरनाथ पाइश का कहना था तो मतलब गोवा एक मंदिरों की भूमि थी वेद अध्ययन की भूमि थी संस्कृत अध्ययन की भूमि थी और भारत के काशी जैसे पवित्र स्थलों से भी ज्यादा पवित्र ऐसी भूमि गोवा को पुर्तुगीज आने के पूर्व यहां मानते थे अभी जिसका जिक्र अभी किया मंदिर का दीवार के बेट पे आइलैंड पे वह श्री सप्तकोटेश्वर का मंदिर था जो आज डिचोली तालुका में विस्थापित हुआ है पंचगंगा गोमती मतलब आज की मांडवी और अघनाशिनी मतलब आज की जुआरी इन सप्त संगमों पर ये मंदिर वसा हुआ था और पहले तो मुगल लोगों ने उसको उसकी उसका ध्वंस कर दिया फिर पुर्तगाली लोगों ने उसका दो बार ध्वंस कर दिया और ये मंदिर की ख्याति ऐसी थी कि सप्त वैदिक ऋषियों ने सप्त कोटि साल तपश्चर्या करने के बाद ये सप्त धातु का यह लिंग ये सप्त संगम जो रहा जिसको दिवाड़ी बोलते हैं वहां उसका स्थापना कर दिया 
और ये सप्तकोटेश्वर तो मंदिर तो गोवा का आराध्य दैवत उस वक्त था बाद में जब कदम्बर राजे आए या शिवाजी महाराज आ गए उन्होंने भी श्री सप्तकोटेश्वर लब्धवर प्रतिष्ठित मतलब श्री सप्तकोटेश्वर के कृपा प्रसाद से ही हमारा राज्य यहाँ चल रहा है ऐसी बिरुदावली अपने नाम के आगे उन्होंने ले ली ये भूमि को परशुराम भूमि कहा जाता है मिथक में बहुत से मिथक ऐसे है यहाँ और यहाँ ऐसे बहुत से अवशेष भी अभी बचे हैं जिन्हें परशुराम भूमि के साथ हम जोड़ सकते हैं परशुराम जी ने समुद्र के ऊपर बाण चढ़ाकर समुद्र को आज्ञा दी कि मुझे अभी यहाँ भूमि चाहिए तो आप पीछे हट जाओ और समुद्र नहीं हटा तो उन्होंने बाण चलाया और समुद्र की भूमि से ये भूमि निर्माण की सो दिस इज रिक्लेमेशन ऑफ लैंड फ्रॉम सी जो परशुराम जी ने किया ये वैज्ञानिक सत्य कहना कहने के लिए परशुराम जी के बाण का प्रतीकात्मक उपयोग रूपकात्मक उपयोग यहां किया गया है तो यहां परशुराम के मंदिर है परशुराम के अनेक अवशेष है उन्होंने किए गए यज्ञ के अवशेष यहाँ हरमल नामक बीच के पास पाए गए हैं तो ऐसे अनेक और यहाँ की गांवों में ग्रामों में यदि हम व्यक्ति नाम देखें तो भी परशुराम ये नाम बहुत यहाँ फेमस है उसके अलावा यहाँ एक शस्त्र है जिसको फर्शी बोलते हैं जो परशुराम के हाथ में जो कुराड़ी थी उसको गोवा में फर्शी इस नाम से पुकारा जाता है तो ये परशुराम भूमि ये मिथक जो है गोवा के बारे में बहुत अच्छी तरह से लागू होता है उसके बाद परशुराम जी ने जो कोंकण के सात अवशेष सात भाग उन्होंने निर्माण किए उसको भी गोवा की लोकवेद में गोवा की लोक भाषा में सप्तकोकण के बजाय साता कोकण ऐसे नाम से भी यहां पुकारा गया है महाभारत काल से यदि हम देखें तो गोवा का उल्लेख तो महाभारत में कई बार आया है गोपराष्ट्र गोवा राष्ट्र ऐसे अनेक संदर्भ हमें महाभारत के ग्रंथ में मिलते हैं और ये कृष्ण के गोप के साथ गोवा की जो जुड़ी हुई प्रतिमा है वो बहुत पहले से है यदि आज भी हम देखें तो श्री राम के ज्यादा मंदिर श्री कृष्ण के मंदिर गोवा में आज पाए जाएंगे श्री कृष्ण लीला और उनके बहुत सी बाल क्रीड़ा के साथ जुड़े हुए अनेक उपक्रम त्योहार हो उत्सव हो या परंपराएं हो जैसे गौरण काला है काला है चिकल काला है ऐसे बहुत से गोवा में हमें देखे जा सकते हैं भोज यादवों के प्रभास तीर्थ पर जब उनकी यादवी हो गई जब उनका आत्मसंहार हो गया वहां तो उनमें से कई भोज राजा कई जो भोज वस्तियां है वो भारत के पश्चिमी तट पर बस गए होंगे ऐसा इतिहास कहता है उसमें से ही एक बस्ती गोवा में चांदर नामक जगह जगह जो चंद्रपुर था और चंद्र तो उनकी कुलदेवता के रूप में थी और ये चंद्र के अनेक मंदिर उन्होंने चंद्रेश्वर बोल के यहाँ पारोड़ा के पे में उन्होंने उस वक्त बनाया और उनकी कुलदेवता का स्मरण जब वो यहाँ आए तब उस, उसके बाद उन्होंने किया तो ये भोज राजा का भी संदर्भ भोज यादवों का भी संदर्भ गोवा में मिलता है अभी तक हम चांदर गांव में जाए तो जहा धर्म परावर्तित जो ख्रिस्ती बांधव है उधो उनमें 
एक मुसल नृत्य बहुत लोकप्रिय है ये मुसल नृत्य यदि हम देखें ये तो मुसल यादवी की याद करने वाला नृत्य उस वक्त से देखा गया है बात पे यहां जितने भारत में पंथ रहे उपपंथ रहे शाखाएं रही विचारधाराएं रही वो सब गोवा में कभी ना कभी किसी ना किसी वक्त गोवा में भी पहुंचे सम्राट अशोक जी के काल में बुद्ध धर्म का जो प्रचार और प्रसार के लिए पूरे भारत में शिष्यगण भेजे गए उसमें गोवा में भी पुण्य नामक शिष्य को गोवा में भेजा गया आज हम यदि देखते हैं तो प्रियोल हो लामगांव हो ऐसी अनेक जगह बुद्ध की गुंफाएं जिनको आज लोग बड़े प्यार से पांडवकालीन गुंफाएं बोलते हैं वो तो पांडवकालीन नहीं है वो बुद्ध के प्रचार और प्रसार की याद के अवशेष के रूप में है वो पाई जाती है फिर हमें दिखाई देता है कि बुद्ध का जो आज जो अवशेष हमें मिल रहे हैं बुद्ध गुंफा की तरह नेत्रावली में है लामगांव में है प्रियोल गांव में है वो सब देखने के बाद बुद्ध परंपरा यहाँ चल रही थी उस वक्त उसमें भी कोई संदेह नहीं है बुद्ध के साथ साथ नार्वे बांदोड़े इस जगह में जैन परंपरा भी गोवा में रही और वो पंथ का भी प्रसार और प्रचार गोवा में हुआ यह भी हमें इतिहास को इतिहास के पन्ने उलटकर हम देख सकते हैं फिर हरवरे नामक जगह जो है साकड़ी के पास वहां शैव गुंफाएं पाई गई है वो शैव परंपरा भी गोवा में आई फिर ये नाथ परंपरा गोवा में आई हमें आज यदि हम ओल्ड गोवा में जाए तो उसके बगल में ही गोरक्ष बोल के एक तड़ी तालाब तालाब है वो गोरक्ष तालाब और वहां अवशेष है गोरक्ष मठ के तो वो भी हमें नाथ संप्रदाय की तरफ उसका उसकी उंगली उठाता है और नाथ परंपरा कितनी प्राचीन थी गोवा में ये भी हमें उससे पता चलता है फिर सिद्ध परंपरा थी गोवा में अनेक मंदिरों अनेक पर्वतों के नाम सिद्ध है जैसे बोरी में सिद्धनाथ बोल के पर्वत है तो ये देखने के बाद ये सिद्ध परंपरा भी गोवा में हो गई इसमें कोई संदेह नहीं है अभी हम यदि संस्कृत और वेद अध्ययन की परंपरा की तरफ अपना ध्यान ले तो ऐसे लगता है कि आज कौड़े जिसे बोलते हैं कैवल्यपुर जहां जो मठ है वो संस्कृत अध्ययन का बड़ा केंद्र था एक जमाने में पहले तो वो कुशस्थली मतलब आज के कुट्टाड़ी में था और वहां से धर्म परिवर्तन के जोर के बाद और धर्मच्छल के बाद वो यहां आ गया इस तट पे आ गया कौले में आ गया वहां गौड़ पादाचार्य मतलब जो अद्वैत मत के संस्थापक रहे और आदि शंकराचार्य जी के आदि गुरु रहे महागुरु रहे मतलब आदि शंकराचार्य के ग्रैंड गुरु वो उनको माना जाता है वो गौड़ पादाचार्य से वो मठ जो है वो चलाने की परंपरा आज तक वहां चल रही है फिर वल्लभाचार्य जी जो है उनका उनका भी गोवा में प्रवास हो गया उनकी भी यात्रा गोवा में हुई भागवत सप्ताह के कारण सोलहवीं शताब्दी में साखड़ी के पास हरवे में जिसका जिक्र अभी हमने किया वहां वो आके गए ऐसे भी उनके बारे में कहा गया है आज जो हम परतगा कानकोड़ में श्री रामचंद्र तीर्थ द्वारा संस्थापित मठ देखते हैं जो कि श्री नारायण तीर्थ स्वामी जी और जो खुद मध्वाचार्य जी के परंपरा से ग्यारहवें स्वामी जी रहे उनका मठ है वो उस वक्त भी और आज भी 
संस्कृत तथा वेदाध्ययन का बहुत बड़ा केंद्र माना गया है अभी हम थोड़े आधुनिक काल में आए तो हमें पता चलता है कि कृष्णदास श्यामा जो गोवा के पहले ज्ञात लेखक के रूप में आगे उनका नाम लिया जाता है लेखक और कवि जिन्होंने भागवत के स्कंद पर अपनी टिप्पणी लिखी और कृष्ण चरित्र कथा ऐसा उसका नामकरण किया और संत एकनाथ जी के पूर्व उनका कार्यकाल रहा ऐसे श्री कृष्णदास श्यामा जी हमारे साष्टी में गोवा के उनका जन्म हुआ आज हम बड़े अभिमान से उनका उनका नाम गोवा स्टेट सेंट्रल लाइब्रेरी को दिया है और पहले जाने माने गोवा के ज्ञात लेखक और कवि के रूप में हम उनको मानते हैं उसके बाद श्री कृष्णपद बानकर जो डोगरी में रहे और जिन्होंने मराठी संगीत नाटक की नींव रखी उनका भी नाम बहुत बहुत अभिमान से हम लेते हैं श्री कृष्ण भट्ट बानकर जी उन्होंने महाभारत रामायण के आदि पौराणिक नाटकों पर संगीत नाट्य लेखन उन्होंने उस वक्त किया फिर जगन्नाथ बुआ बोरीकर जो बोरी फुंडा के गांव में रहे और वहां उन्होंने भजनी सप्ताह की परंपरा जो स्वयं एक सिद्ध संप्रदाय थे और उन्होंने जो भजन सप्ताह की परंपरा उस वक्त शुरू की वो आज तक भी निरंतर जारी है यदि हम गोवा की मंदिरों की तरफ देखें तो भारत में जितने मंदिर है वो तो देवताओं के मंदिर या वो पुराणिक देवता है हो या आधुनिक देवताएं हो सबके आपको गोवा में मिल जाएंगे लेकिन जो मंदिर उर्वरित भारत में भी देखे नहीं जा सकते या बहुत कम देखे जा सकते ऐसे ब्रह्मा जी का मंदिर हो कृष्ण की असली माता देवकी तो देवकी के साथ कृष्ण जी का मंदिर हो कार्तिकेय का मंदिर हो सूर्य देव का मंदिर हो परशुराम जी का मंदिर हो मल्लिकार्जुन का मंदिर हो और जैसे में हम हमने पहले बताया कि इतने सब संप्रदाय जब गोवा में आए तो उनके बीच कुछ झगड़ा भी हुआ होगा शैव और वैष्णव के बीच तो ये शैव और वैष्णव के बीच जो झगड़ा हुआ वो बिटाने के लिए यहाँ जो पूर्वजों ने हम हमारे पुरखों ने प्रयास किए उसके भी कुछ फल हमें यहाँ मिलते जैसे आपका रामनाथ मंदिर है राम मतलब वैष्णवपंथी है और नाथ जो है वो उसका जो रूप वहां दिखाई देता है मंदिर में वो लिंग का रूप है तो एक वैष्णव भी और शैव भी एक ही रूप में ये रामनाथ का मंदिर गोवा में है ऐसे अनेक प्राचीन पुरातन और उर्वरित भारत में भी देखे ना जा सके ऐसे मंदिर गोवा में हमें दिखाई देते हैं फिर यहाँ के स्थानिक मंदिर है स्थानिक देवताओं के मंदिर है जैसे वेताल है सातेरी है जो मृत्तिका का पूजन होता है एंठिल का पूजन होता है और रवणनाथ है ऐसे बहुत से स्थानिक देवताओं से भी गोवा में पूरे गांवों में हमारी ये स्थानिक देवताएं अपना राज्य करती है फिर यहाँ का यदि एक बहुत समृद्ध ऐसी परंपरा यहाँ लही जो लोकवेद की परंपरा है जो लोक साहित्य की परंपरा है इसे देखे तो इतने छोटे प्रदेश में जिसका इतिहास दस सालों से निरंतर लिखा जा सकता है इस छोटे प्रादेशिक क्षेत्र में भी 250-300 के प्रकार में ये लोकवेद पाया गया है इतनी बहुत समृद्ध परंपरा यहाँ के लोक साहित्य की है उसमें धालो है फुगड़ो है नमन है वीरभद्र है शिगमो है जागर है ऐसे बहुत सी लोक परंपराएं यहाँ पाई गई है तो इतनी संपन्न भूमि समृद्ध भूमि वैभवशाली परंपरा धर्म के बारे में हो उत्सवों के बारे में हो 
परंपराओं के रीति रिवाजों के बारे में हो अन्न संस्कृति के बारे में हो वस्त्र संस्कृति के बारे में हो इतनी वैभवशाली परंपरा बाराई तेराई सदी में पहुंचने के बाद जब पुर्तुगीज जहां आए तब सोलहवें शताब्दी ने उन्होंने इस वैभवशाली भूमि को स्मशान भूमि में परावर्तित किया ये ये साल हम तो स्वतंत्रता के 75 साल भारत के और साथ में गोवा के मुक्ति के 60 साल का पर्व मना रहे हैं तो उस वक्त हमें याद रहना चाहिए और हमने संकल्प भी करना चाहिए कि जो वैभव गोवा में था पहले आठवीं शताब्दी से लेकर चौदहवीं शताब्दी तक जो कदम्ब स्वर्ण काल माना गया पुर्तुगीज लोगों ने भी पहले उसका अलदोरादो ऐसा वर्णन किया महाभारत में भी जिसका वर्णन सुनाप्रांत मतलब स्वर्ण भूमि ऐसा किया गया उस स्वर्ण भूमि का जो वैभव पुर्तुगीजों ने उसको स्मशान भूमि में परावर्तित किया वो वैभव वापस मिलाने का वापस लाने का संकल्प आज के दिन हम यहाँ सब करें इसलिए ये गोवा का पुर्तुगीज पूर्व इतिहास हमने आपके सामने रखने का प्रयास किया है धन्यवाद ये गोमा तक ये शब्द की एटीमोलॉजी कहीं गोमाता से आती है या कैसे है ये प्लीज बता दीजिए और दूसरा रामायण में इसका कोई उल्लेख है क्या यदि हम गोवा के जो पहले से उसको दे गए नाम जो है उनकी उनका उद्गम देखें उनके एटीमोलॉजी देखें तो ज्यादातर संशोधकों ने यह माना है कि ये गो मतलब गाय से इस शब्द का उद्गम हुआ है गो मतलब गाय मंत मतलब युक्त और क जो शब्द उसको लगा है जो सफिक्स है वो प्रत्यय है वो क का मतलब एक छोटा रूप जैसे बाल बालक लगता है तो ये क जो है छोटा रूप दिखाने वाला उसको प्रत्यय लगा गया है तो गायों से युक्त ऐसा ये प्रदेश छोटा प्रदेश मतलब गोमंतक गो गोवा की उत्पत्ति भी यही बताई जाती है गोवा मतलब गायों गायों का प्रदेश कैटल कल्चर का प्रदेश और भी कई उत्पत्तियां उसकी दिखा गई है जैसे हम सबको तो आसाम की पहली की राजधानी मालूम है गुवाहाटी गुवा मतलब सुपारी अरेका नट बिटल नट जिसको बोलते हैं और हाटी मतलब बाजार सुपारी का बाजार ये गुवाहाटी है उसी सुपारी शब्द से मतलब गुवा शब्द से संस्कृत में गोवा इस शब्द का उद्गम हो गया होगा ऐसा भी एक मानना है क्योंकि गोवा में भी कुड़ागर मतलब सुपारी का जो गार्डन है वो बहुत बड़े पैमाने पे होता है तो इन दोनों में इन, इनके अलावा और भी अनेक उत्पत्तियां दिखाई गई है लेकिन ये दो उत्पत्तियां जो है वो आज के संदर्भ में गोवा को ज्यादा लागू होती है एक तो गाई गायों का प्रदेश गौ प्रदेश और दूसरा सुपारी का प्रदेश दूसरा सवाल जो आपने पूछा रामायण में कोई प्रत्यक्ष संदर्भ गोवा का तो नहीं मिलता है लेकिन परशुराम जी की जो पूरी आख्यायिका है वो तो राम के अवतार से ही जुड़ी हुई आख्यायिका है जैसा हमने पहले बताया कि गोवा में भी पारंपरिक तौर पर राम जन्म हो या ऐसे अनेक राम के साथ जुड़ी हुई जो कथानक है वो गोवा में पहले से मनाए जाते हैं और दूसरी बात यह है कि गोवा में राम पुरुष बोल के जगह जगह में अभी इस राम का और उस राम का कुछ संबंध है ये संशोधन का विषय है 
लेकिन गांव गांव में एक राम पुरुष बोल के एक देवता का पूजन गोवा में किया जाता है ऐसे दो राम के संदर्भ गोवा में भी मिलते हैं बाकी तो हम हमने देखा है कि रामना ऐसे मंदिर हमने जिसका जिक्र किया कि जो एक तरफ से तो वैष्णव मंदिर है लेकिन अंदर तो लिंग पाया जाता है शैव वृत्ति से संबंधित है तो ये भी संदर्भ हमें राम की तरफ अपना ध्यान आकर्षित करता है Sri Datta Naik has been on various committees on education and research. He has uh, even been imprisoned during the emergency and participated in various satyagrahas for various causes in Assam, Kashmir, and the Chicken Neck. He has also written and published many books on uh, Swami Vivekanand, the downfall of communism, and even a collection of poems in Marathi. Today, he deals with the topic of the arrival of the Portuguese in Goa. Goa is a small state having its area of 3702 square kilometers according to the census last census goa's population is 1460000 and something so comparatively it is one of the smallest states of the country it has been the center of attraction to all the kind of people like travelers traders rulers invaders etc right from the time immemorial since the day the europeans came to know that the earth is round they started sending their sailors come soldiers to explore and exploit the new territories there were evidences there are evidences that indo-europeans or indo-european relations existed right from the ancient times names of the zodiacal signs names of the days of week a week of seven days use of zero other mathematical symbols and concepts they are the proofs in favor of these relations it's not that relations started during the period of the invasion of any european power over the asian countries countries of europe who were in competition of amassing wealth wanted to develop a sea route for trade as land route had many limitations there were many rulers on their way they had their own rules they had to pay their taxes octroi etc that is why automatically there was increase in price more expenditure and that is why the countries in europe wanted to find out a way to reach the coastal belt of india on their own another important incident was a well known incident that constantinople the city that connected europe with asia was captured by the ottoman turks sorry 1453 as such europeans were compelled to find some new routes for the purpose of trade incidentally prince henry who ruled over portugal during this period founded a school for seamen and provided every possible help and encouragement to the sailors in their voyages naturally this continued supported by king dom manuel vasco da gama with his crew sailed for india with his 
ship known as Sao Gabriel. According to new evidences available, Vasco da Gama was not the discoverer of the sea route to India. It has been found that he was guided by a Gujarati owner of ships, owner of crew by name Chandan, who used to trade from west coast of India to almost Suez Canal area of Africa. While going back, he hoisted a flag, his flag, his own flag, not Portuguese flag, his own flag on the island of Anjadiu. That is how many times people say that in Anjadiu, the Portuguese rule started earlier than the coming of the Portuguese sailors, uh, uh, soldiers. When he came for a second time, for the during first time, he was welcomed by the king Zamorin of Kerala. Zamorin or Samudrin. And he had very friendly relations with the king of Calicut. When he came for the second time, he looted the ships on the sea and burned them down along with men, women and children. It should be kept in mind that Portuguese or any other imperial power were not simply interested in trade. Their aim was to spread their empire, enslave the local people and pervert them to Christianity. Earlier, Goa was a part of Yadava kingdom. It was captured by Alauddin Khilji. Then it became a part of Bahamani rulers, Bahamani kingdom. And it was freed by Vijayanagar general Madhav Mantri in 1366. And Goa was a part of Vijayanagar Empire for more than 100 years. The longest period during this medieval uh, period of the history. In 1489, Goa was captured by Adil Shah of Bijapur. Hindus of Goa were not allowed to publicly celebrate their festivals. This has been recorded by historians. Timoza Naik, the representative of Vijayanagar, wanted to free Goa of the Islamic rule. He invited Afos the Albuquerque, the chief of the Portuguese Armada, thinking that he would help him and will go back. This is how he sh it, it is a proof that he did not assess the intention of the coming of the arrival of the Europeans. Afos the Albuquerque, who was waiting for an opportunity to capture Goa and annex it, to the overseas empire of the King Don Manuel of Portugal. His first entry into Goan territory was against Muslims. It has been recorded the rivers around the Goa island were full of blood because his soldiers, Albuquerque soldiers, killed the Muslims even by entering the mosques while they were praying. Actually, normally, it is a tradition that one should not kill another person while he is praying or and should not kill somebody in his prayer house or a temple. On November 25, 1510, Albuquerque conquered island of Goa. 
this day was celebrated at the feast of catherine by roman catholic church the invasion was not simply political but was out to destroy the local culture citizenship was open to only those who accepted christianity the hindus were labeled as infidels infidels means those who do not have any faith faithless people without faith this act of offers the alboker was supported by the papal bulletin of the year 1481 issued by pope sixto fourth because pope had divided the entire world into two parts the eastern part was handed over to spain and western part of the world of the earth globe was handed over to portugal force fraud and inducement were the postulates of the proselytizing clan the rule was this is during albuquerque who has been portrayed as only an administrator the rule of albuquerque was that accept christianity run away or be prepared to die this is what they did in spain spain was occupied by arabs arabs had converted maximum spanish to islam when spanish rulers gained back power they made this rule that accept christianity go away from this country they were most of them settled down in morocco so go away from this country or be prepared to die this was a semitic rule which was followed by the invading portuguese soldiers it is sometimes said that albuquerque did not interfere in the religious affairs but in 1550 by his order shakti vinayak mandir of diwar diwadi was demolished by his order their power lied not in their courage or in philosophy but the sophisticated weapons they had and above all the gunpowder this gunpowder was not in much use among the armies of native rulers rules were framed after the arrival of portuguese the rules were framed that no hindu ritual should be performed in these areas first captured first occupied by the portuguese it should be noted anyhow that portuguese were the first to arrive in this country and the last to leave this country they entered our country with what is known as white man's burden they sometimes think and even today they say many of them say they wanted to civilize the gentius the word gentius 
was used for the people who lived in this country but the arrival of portuguese in goa was a great menace to the people and it is the it brought the darkest period of the history in the life of the goan history we find that people because of their aggression people from goa ran away to far away territories they had to be found up to cochin in kerala and up to gwalior in north india this is how the people from goa migrated due to the aggression invasion which was multipronged it was not simply one rule replacing another rule but it was against their religion against their culture against their customs and above all there was a fear of to life we say that goa is divided or no goa is known as old conquest and new conquest we should rename them as old uh, former occupancies and later occupancies because they are not our conquests and uh, they are the occupancies for us but they should be renamed as former occupancies and later occupancies thank you very much dattaji there is one uh, popular uh, belief actually that vasco da gama landed in goa because of that movie uh, starring uh, shahrukh khan and aishwarya rai i can't remember the name so um, perhaps you could say one or two sentences that he did not land in goa but in calicut yeah it's true he, he did not land in goa for hmm. this instant he stopped at anjadiwa this anjadiwa is a place in goa or in kerala no no it it is it's a it is a part of goa oh, but it yeah. is it is a sea island it is not a part of the interior goa most important thing is the film shown is a fiction it is not based on fact this is a story secondly vasco da gama while going back he hoisted his own flag not portuguese flag on that island called uh vanjidiu which is a part of goa but it is a ethnic island it is not a part of mainland goa it's only administered by goa thirdly there is no place called vasco da gama only post office and railway stations municipal council of the city is known as municipality of marmagoa so we do not know how the city was named as vasco da gama there is there is no evidence now some rti activists are trying to doubt how this place was uh, post office was uh, named as vasco da gama post office and vasco da gama never came to mainland goa dr varsha kamath has several books and research publications to her credit in varied fields contributions of eminent goans in development of maharashtra and the indian subcontinent marathi education cause for hindu resurgence demographic studies comparative studies of portuguese and british colonialism rainwater harvesting in ancient and modern times agro ecosystems etc she has written several books chhatrapati shivaji maharaj for children resurgent goa etc her topic for today is role of portuguese administration the church and the pinto revolt the topic under discussion is the role of portuguese administration church and the pinto revolt 
This is map of Portugal in the 16th century. Portugal, a European country on the coast of Atlantic Ocean, who ventured into the discovery of sea route to India and succeeded when Vasco da Gama reached Calicut in 1498. The Portuguese conquered Tiswadi Islands in 1510. This is the map of Goa, shows the, uh, the old conquest marked in red. And these were Tiswadi was territory conquered by the Portuguese in 1510. In 1543, they conquered Bardes and Salse. And together, these are called the old conquest. The territories marked in yellow are the new conquests which were uh, uh, carried out in the uh, period between 1760 and 1788. The role of Portuguese administration. Portugal was under absolute monarchy before 1822. Motivated by the ideologies of the Reconquista and Counter-Reformation and armed with the papal bulls and decrees of the Padroado Real, that's the royal patronage, the Estado da India Portuguesa, that is the Portugal and maritime empire cast in military and ecclesiastical mold. The Estado da India Portuguesa extended from the Cape of Good Hope and the Persian Gulf on one side of Asia to Japan and Timor on the other side was governed by a representative of the Portuguese king with the title of Viceroy if he was from the nobility or governor otherwise. He was responsible for formulating laws in the province. His tenure of three years with absolute power over administration, foreign affairs and military. The Estado da India Portuguesa, which was under a viceroy or a governor, was assisted by, was advised by two councils, the Council of the State and the Council of Three Estates. Legislation by the colonial administration. Under the wife Constancio Dri Bagranza, anti-Hindu legislation was introduced with fresh vigor in 59 and in the following year, 1560, the Goa Inquisition was established by the royal authority in Lisbon. Consequently, a quasi holy war was launched in Goa to win converts to Christianity. The rest of the 16th century in adherence to the dictum who juice regios ilius religio whose region religion means the religion of the king must be the religion of the subjects the state worked hand in glove with the church in its fulfillment of the policy of evangelization of goa swiftly possessing themselves of the properties and souls of the local people and though they believed that the seaborne empire was a product of divine dispensation with god working for them the Portuguese did not hesitate to employ military force in support of the missionary efforts. A look at the social stratification of the inhabitants of Goa during this period reveals the presence of a hierarchy based on color considerations. The Reynoish are the Portuguese which held highest civil, military and ecclesiastical positions in the colonial administration of Goa and went back to Portugal once their tenure was over. The Castisus were those Portuguese who stayed on in India who married local women and therefore were looked down upon. The Mistisus were the progeny of the mixed marriages and were lowest in the rung. 
the canaries at the bottom were the Christian converts occupying a position higher than the Gentiles. The Gentiles or the Hindus, Muslims or non-believers. Finally, the slaves of African origin. From this hierarchical classification of the Gon society, it can be understood that the darker the color of one's skin, lower was the position in society. According to a scholar, the Portuguese empire in Goa was a pigmentocracy characterized by a strong and tenacious color bar. However, the local Christian population increased in size. It became increasingly aware of and adversely affected by the policy of racial discrimination practiced by its Portuguese masters. The ugly head of Calabar raised itself frequently in the realm of the administration of justice. The French traveler Tavernier testifies that if a Canarin struck a Portuguese, there was no pardon, his hand was cut off. The Indian Christians were not admitted in the institutions of social welfare set up by the Portuguese like confraternity, holy house of mercy and the royal hospital. In 1718, the king instructed the viceroy not to permit a Canarin to supersede or even to be on par with the Portuguese. Politically, the Goans were never treated on a footing of equality with the Europeans, despite laws advocating the contrary. Goans were never considered for the highest level of decision-making offices. Viceroy, chief secretary, Chief Revenue Superintendent, Judges of the High Court, Archbishops, Bishops were the exclusive preserves of the Europeans. The role of the church. The Portuguese church was guilty of perpetuating racism in Goa. It denied to the Goan clergy admittance into the religious orders like the Franciscans, Jesuits and the like. The Goan priests were not ordained as regular priests in these but could only serve in a secular capacity. Father Joseph Vaz's attempts to found an Asian order had to encounter several stumbling blocks before it could be accepted. The convent of Santa Monica, established in 1627 in the city of Goa, admitted only Europeans. Later, when its doors were opened to the Mistisus and the Canaries, it maintained a distinction between European and the Indians. Europeans were accorded superior positions. They were designated as mothers and attired in traditional black veil, while the Indians had to remain content with the title of sisters and they had to wear a white veil. In the College of St. Paul, the foremost Jesuit institution, Indian and the Portuguese boys were boarded separately. This is Father Joseph Vaz and this is the convent of Santa Monica. The case of Matheus de Castro Mahali. It was this racist policy of the church in Goa that prompted Father Matheus de Castro Mahali, the island of Diwar, to protest against the foreign rule in his homeland. Attempt unsuccessfully to free Goa from the Portuguese yoke with the assistance of the Adil Shah of Bijapur in 1654. The Goan priest was steadily rising up the ladder of ecclesiastical hierarchy. They began to exercise their privileges and prerogatives with the support of propaganda feeder under the direction of the Vatican directly from Rome. But 
the Padroado Portuguese do Oriente, or the Church of the Portuguese in the East, still refused them equality in ranks. The efforts of the Marquis de Pombal, the Prime Minister of King Jose I, and who presided over the Portuguese Empire from 1750 to 1777. The Pombaline reforms had established the equality of the natives and the Renoish. Goa's elite clergy functioned not only as priests but enjoyed public posts such as ambassador and voice in the neighboring kingdom. But in their own country, they did not have any opportunity to rise in higher post. The Pinto Revolt of 18. 1787. As could be seen, there was a distinct policy of color discrimination embedded in the Portuguese colonial system for centuries. Though the Pombaline era tried to change this, preferences and differences continued to prevail in Goan society. It was the local elite clergy who were the first to resent and to react to this discrimination. Father Jose Antonio Gonçalves and Father Caetano Francisco Dito were doubtlessly the leaders of the plot to carry out the revolt. Father Gonçalves was born from the island of Divar, studied at the Chorão Seminary, was ordained in 1772, joined the same as professor of philosophy in 1780, but renounced the post in 1781 and went to Rome via Lisbon for doctoral studies from propaganda feeder as he had trouble with the Padroado Real. Now, Father Kuto was from Penjim, studied at Shoram Seminary, took up a sign at the bishopric in Cochin. But disputes with the Franciscan, he had to be, he was relieved from his job. He went straight to Lisbon to plead his case. He met Father Gonsalves and other born patriots there. The starting point of the project to overthrow the Portuguese rule in Goa was undoubtedly Lisbon. The revolt of 1787 in Goa is commonly called Pintos revolt. The proposed revolt was not exclusively the handiwork of the Pintos, yet one cannot deny their deep involvement as indicated by the records. Jose Antonio Pinto was closely associated with his relative, Father Caetano Vitorino di Faria, better known as father of Abe Faria, the hypnotist, in the birth of the proposed revolt in Lisbon. The Pintos were an influential family in Candolin. Besides Jose Pinto, his two brothers, together with other relatives, played an active part in the planning and preparations of the proposed revolt in Goa. Besides, they also offered the ancestral palatial house in Kandoli for holding meetings of the rebels. Father Caetano Vitorino di Faria was the behind the plot to overthrow the Portuguese and drive them out of Goa. His hopes of becoming the first Padroado Archbishop in the provincial at Goa were dashed to the ground when it went to a white man in 1784. The hopes of Father Gonsalves and Father Puto, who were keen on occupying the vacant bishoprics of Krangenor and Mylapore, met with the same fate despite being qualified in every manner. The Goan priests were bypassed in favor of South Indian St. Thomas clerics. This was the last straw. We determined them to end the anti-Goan regime of Istado the India. 
Father Gonsalves and Father Kuto return, returned to Goa after they failed to secure the ambitions in Lisbon. They were full of anger and indignation. In Goa, they were able to rally round themselves through dint of hard work and charisma, mixture of both secular and non-secular persons, mainly of elite origin. The rebels included parish priests, their relatives, friends, members of the military bearing high ranks, especially from the legions of Ponda and Pardes. Geographically, the rebels were mainly from the provinces of Ilyash, that is Tiswadi, Bardes and Salse, and few from Ponda. There was a talk of getting help from external powers, including Tipu Sultan, but it did not seem to materialize. According to Kunj Rivara, who wrote the version of the revolt called the Conspiracy of 1787, the D-Day was fixed on 10th August 1787, but it seems to have constantly shifting. This gave chance to some to change their mind due to fear of retribution. Ultimately, two priests, one military man reported the revolt to the authorities and blew the lid off the boiling pot of rebellion. 46 arrests were made immediately, followed by denunciation by some for sheer spite, some to save one's skin and others for material gains. Rama Sinai, a Hindu businessman from Penjim, was arrested but later released. Father Gonsalves escaped to the Maratha country. The reprisals. 14 priests were deported to Portugal after a trial to rot in prison for almost 18 years. 15 rebels were executed. The sentences imposed on natives of Goa were extremely harsh. The colonial government looked upon the entire episode as abominable crime and high treason. The properties of everyone connected were confiscated. In conclusion, one might say that the Portuguese administration and the church clearly followed a policy of discrimination from a sense of white superiority. That the happenings of 1787 was not just a protest or a conspiracy of the Goan clergy and army, but it was a real revolt of the natives from all fields to end the rule of the Portuguese and establish a republic, a government of their own. And it was inspired by the winds of change that were blowing over Europe during the period an erudite Goan elite and the clergy in Lisbon were most influenced by it. Vrshaji, my question is, in the later struggle uh, uh, towards the end, uh, the church propagated that um, uh, the uh, salvation of the Christians lay in uh, being under the Portuguese. Now, can you uh, uh, elaborate a few sentences on this? Republican period lasted only for 16 years from 1910 to 1926 and then came the, the, uh, the revolution again right. and this right. time the military took over right. and the military, called, um, the military called upon the, the dictator uh, who was a professor of economics in the Coimbra University, Dr. Salazar, okay? And uh, Salazar came in 1940, Salazar signed a concordat with the Pope because in the name of religion, he wanted to preserve the uh, Portuguese empire. So that is when the, that the dictator got in uh, this with the church, you know, when somebody drowns, he can, he can also... You know, he tries to hold on to even a small stick 
and that is how the uh, and the dictatorial administration stuck to the church to save the portuguese empire in india that is how they said uh, that uh, if you uh, get uh, merged in uh, india you will lose your uh, religion you will lose your uh, position you will lose your power that is what a uh, dictator and the church try to tell the christians mm -hmm. to be classified as history it must be corroborated with evidence both indigenous and foreign our next speaker sri balaji shene is an archivist and publication head in research and publication section of department of uh, uh, archives in goa and his topic for today is the documentary evidences of the portuguese rule in goa the historical archives of goa is one of the oldest uh, archives in asia we could say um, because uh, the formal establishment of this archives happened in 1596 by the uh, when the appointment of first record keeper diogo puto happened by the portuguese government in goa and uh, it was known then as uh, tor do tomb estado da india uh, uh, on the similar lines of the name of the national archives of uh, lisbon or uh, national archives of the portuguese in lisbon uh, so based on that from 1596 onwards the record keeping system was established in goa and uh, what this archives contains it archives this uh, historical archives of goa contains mainly the uh, source material for the history of europeans uh, uh, and their expansion in asia and africa uh, the rise and fall of uh, the portuguese seaborne empire uh, from 1510 to uh, 1961 and attempts made by the asians and africans uh, to outstrip this europeans from asia and africa now uh, if we look at the historical archives of goa which is presently known as the directorate of archives and archaeology it houses various historical records which are been consulted by various research scholars in past there are some uh, archival records which are still been not Uh, deciphered or they are not been uh, consulted by the research scholars and the uh, it's like a treasure house we still have to hunt for more and more uh, documents the basic constraint for looking at the archival record is the knowledge of portuguese only those who have well versed knowledge of portuguese can have good access to these particular records and can try to understand uh, more into the the history of the portuguese empire the economy of the portuguese government or the administration of the uh, portuguese empire uh, even the uh, how they used to initially function from goa when they were very new in this territory and uh, uh, there are various uh, measures to curb the social practices in goa or the interfering in the social life of the goans and how this policy of conversion came to goa and the destruction of the temples happened in goa portuguese were fair enough in documenting every act of theirs they were documenting the every deeds even when they were destructing their temples they were documenting each and every uh, destruction of their temple and it has been noted that uh, th those records uh, now are in public domain the wherein we observe that in a single uh, day the 300 temples in salset were de uh, demolished by this uh, 
uh, Portuguese. So these uh, there are references uh, which testify that what happened, the cruelties on the Bowens, which happened during this particular period uh, in the 16th century, has been well documented by Portuguese themselves. So today we understand uh, about what we talk about Goa Inquisition. Uh, there may be some scholars who argue that it never happened in Goa, but uh, it is there are documents which testify prepared by the Portuguese themselves that uh, the Inquisition, the cruelties to own the Govans and uh, whatever has happened during the 16th century has been well documented by them. Now, uh, there are various type of record series in the his historical archives of Goa. Uh, the very important, the largest record series that is Monsonche du Rey, that is about the monsoon correspondences of the Portuguese between 1568 AD to 1914. So uh, 300 to 400 years of history has been documented in this 456 volumes, out of which 72 volumes were taken to Portugal uh, during the Portuguese period. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to inform you all that now uh, uh, with the exchange policy, the government of India has been able to get digitized 72 volumes of uh, Mossange Dure, which were there in the Portuguese archives. And uh, they are now in the custody of the Depart Directorate of uh, Archives in Mala, which is in Panjim. So these documents now what this why this record series has been called as Mossange Dure that is the monsoon correspondence. Now we know that uh, during the monsoon period in the 16th century and the 17th century the Portuguese ships were not able to carry information from Goa to uh, Portugal. So that's why the documents were compiled and they were sent uh, in the month of after September. So from December to uh, March, they used to compile everything and they used to send it to Portugal. And whatever replies they used to get from Portugal, they are being documented in this Mossange Dure along with the copies of the letters which were sent from Goa. So this particular record series is been referred by various research scholars like Pandran Pisurlekar, C.R. Boxer, uh, Surendranath Sen, and various stalwarts have uh, used this particular record series in uh, highlighting the various type of uh, historical significances in the European expansion in India. Similarly, the more and more research can be done if these record volumes are indexed and catalogued. Uh, properly, uh, the attempts, if they are made in true sense, uh, the basic constraint in referring this uh, record, as I said, they are in the Portuguese language. And in the 16th and 17th century, Portuguese is quite uh, different from the modern day Portuguese language. So you should know the old Portuguese paleography, uh, for which Dr. P.P. Uh, Shirodkar has written uh, uh, an extensive book on Portuguese paleography. So if we understand this Portuguese paleography, it becomes very easy for understanding the uh, Portuguese records. The second important record series of uh, historical archives of Goa is Reis Viginius. That is about the neighboring kings. Uh, from 1619 to 1842, there are 40 to 22 volumes uh, of uh, Reis Viginius talking about the various neighboring kings around this Portuguese uh, territory of Goa. 
they talk about the Mughals, they talk about the letters and correspondence between the Nayakas of Ikeri, Nayakas of Keladi in Canara. Uh, then they talk about the relations between the Savantwadis, Bosles of Savantwadi, then the Marathas, the Peshwas. And if these records, 22 volumes, are being consulted, then the diplomatic relation of the Portuguese with their neighborings, uh, particularly with related to the trade and of, uh, commerce, or related to the social exchanges or warfare strategies, diplomacy, all these uh, topics cover and uh, the detailed research can be uh, done if a person can consult this record. Some of the volumes have also been consulted and they have been published and they are in public domain. However, some of the uh, majority of this race Virginia's volumes are not, uh, they are not been consulted by the research scholar. So there are possibilities that uh, one can get various type of uh, uh, new uh, discoveries if one refers to this particular uh, record series. There are records related to the various uh, orders which are issued by the Portuguese and they are being uh, consulted. Now, if a research scholar wants to come to archive, then there is a Rotero, uh, which is uh, published by Pandrang uh, Pisurleka. This Rotero is uh, a form of a list of records, what is available in archives. It is a compilation of all the record series, what it contains. So uh, one can come and refer uh, by using this Rotero. And there is a guide to Goa archives in English by uh, published by Viti Gune when he was the director of archive. So these are the two uh, important handbooks which uh, one can come and refer. And by looking at these records, uh, they can identify which particular record uh, uh, volume they want to look at or they want to consult. Now, with regard to the most uh, uh, fascinating and uh, most widely talked uh, cons uh, the topic is about the destruction of temples or uh, what happened in the 16th century uh, pertaining to the migrations of uh, migration of Govans and uh, the, uh, the Portuguese atrocities on Govans. So we have Foraldi Salset. Now this Foraldi Salset, uh, we can say it, uh, there are various Foral. So it is Foraish. Uh, so we have Foraldi Salset, Foraldi Iliash, and Foraldi Bardet. Now what are these Foral? They are uh, in, uh, a short, in a form of uh, a detailed revenue account of every village. And you have, uh, you can understand which were the temples that existed in the 16th century because these forals were written from 1567 onwards. So this foral give you an extensive idea where the temple was located, what was surrounding the temple, which were the properties of the temple, and it also contains the names of the Gaunkars, the original settlers of those particular villages. Uh, with this uh, information, one can reconstruct the uh, the location of the temple because this is basically a kind of a panchanama which the portuguese government did after the destruction of the temple and there was a, a, a committee which was appointed headed by a, a judge who, uh, who used to go to village to village and do this particular survey and document the properties of every particular temple and every particular village 
and they at the end of the panchanama they used to take the initials of the uh, main gaonkars who were present uh, either they were converted hindus or uh, the hindus who were present during uh, the day of panchanama they used to give their testimony and they used to sign uh, at the end of this particular document so this for all becomes a very important economic from economic history point of view even from the administrative point of the understanding of history and also about the geographical understanding about the villages in goa in the 16th century so not much has been done related to the extensive study of foral the salset or foral the iliash which are very important uh, in context of various issues which now come up uh, these days uh, related to the temples and the original sites of the temple so this particular foral the salset and foral the iliash can become an important uh, uh, source for the study of uh, the history of temples of goa so this is particularly regarding uh, the foral the salset similarly there are records in the lisbon archives too related to goa and related to the conversion there are records documented by the lisbon archives uh, which tell you about who were converted when they were converted which caste they belong to and what is their age at the time of conversion or what were the uh, 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 who converted them these are the detailed accounts which are been kept in the lisbon archives however related to the inquisition record the archives of goa is not having major records uh, the original records we only have two three volumes which talk about the income and expenditure of the uh, the inquisition court which was in goa but we have uh, um, various secondary sources in the uh, our library and the rare collection also we have then we also have sanskrit manuscripts now sayadri khand which talks about the uh, the uh, the mythological stories associated with the uh, establishment of goa by parshuram and various legends associated uh, can be termed as talapurans or the importance of various places and the mythological aso- stories associated with these places are been narrated in this sayadri khand and the, the purvardha and uttarardha of uh, the sayadri khand volume are uh, the manuscripts the rare collection are available in the historical archives of goa and they are uh, they were gifted by the shivram kondaikar and his family to the archives so uh, we also have various uh, uh, hindu scriptures uh, which were gifted uh, by the kondaikar family to archive they are also been uh, documented and preserved in the historical archives of goa so one has to look at these records in a systematic way because these records are been written by the portuguese and from their perspective so when we try to read this particular record one has to understand that the it is not the govans who wrote it but it is the portuguese uh, mindset and their way of looking at things so when we try to interpret these particular records we have to keep this thing in mind related to goa struggle for freedom as goa is uh, into the 60th year of its liberation uh territorial military tribunal files 
there was a separate court which was established uh, mainly to punish the soldiers of the portuguese but which was later on used by the portuguese uh, salazar's government to uh, suppress the uh, portuguese colony uh, the satyagrahis and the various armed resistance which took place in goa and to punish all these uh, freedom fighters they used this particular tmt court and uh, they were tried before the court and all these proceedings related to the freedom fighters are been well documented in archives this particular tmt file also contains pamphlets leaflets and also has uh, the banners which they used to take along with themselves which was confiscated by the portuguese like for example there is a file of uh, a freedom fighter maria calista rauzo this file contains uh, the proceeding uh, the trial proceeding uh, on her and ananta uh, thali uh, this particular file has a booklet uh, of lohia and also has a poem written uh, by gajanan raikar which was found in the house of maria arauzo which was considered as anti portuguese by the government and they confiscated all those things and they were attached in the file as a documentary evidence showing that she was anti portuguese so and the proceeding took place so similarly various file like sindhu deshpande's uh, file also contains various letters which she used to write to the government of india related to the uh, uh, liberation of goa and also to the govans so various uh, letters pamphlet leaflet the batches uh, they are been well documented by the uh, tmt court and uh, they were taken as a confiscate they were confiscated from these freedom fighters and they were put as a uh, uh, testimony that they were doing some subversive activities against the portuguese government and the, the trial court used to punish them based on their crimes they uh, were punished and they were put in jail the atrocities which they faced in the jail they are also been documented in this particular tmt file and these files are an important source for the understanding of history of uh, uh, the goa struggle for freedom so this is a comprehensive a uh, brief snapshot about the documentary evidences of the portuguese in the available in the historical archives of goa